0: Take it this is right, excellent. Whoops, I'm not going to read it upside down, am I? Maybe okay. Well, There's been a bit of a rush this morning. Let's uh try and get this together. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Ken Simpson. I'm one of the assistant ministers here. Well, one of the honorary, the only honorary assistant minister here at Summerhill Church. If this is your first time with us, welcome. It's great to have you here. We love to have visitors amongst us. We love to welcome people and bring them uh, together to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ and about God and His work in the world. It would be really helpful for you to have your Bibles open, mainly at 1 Peter chapter 2, but we will be jumping around a little bit. Um, I'll come back to 1 Peter chapter 2 a number of times. Anything else will be up on the screen. You're very welcome to jump around with me but they'll also be up on the screen if you want. Also, as you came in, you will have been given a little outline of where I'll be going and the points that I'll be making along the way. I'll try and make it clear where I'm up to so that you can sort of follow along, make notes. We won't have a question time today. It's a little bit longer, this, um, this sermon, hopefully not too long, but uh, we'll get through. And then if you'd like to ask questions via the connection card system, I'd love you to do that. But I'm going to start by asking the question what is God doing in the world? I mean we look around the world at the moment we see a lot of stuff that sort of makes you wonder doesn't it? You know you look at Ukraine, you look at Sri Lanka, you look at Syria, you look I mean everywhere you look you just go what is going on? What is God doing? But We have to understand what God is doing in the world to understand what part we play, what game we are playing in the world. Now, a common answer that people might come up with, with what is God doing in the world, if they believe in God, is that God is trying to fix up the world. He's running around patching things here and there and doing stuff and making things come together. God is healing, hurting people, perhaps. God is comforting prisoners, God is transforming societies and there is truth in that isn't there? Uh, it, it is true that God loves the widow and the orphan. It's true that God will bring an end to suffering and it's a very attractive way of looking at the world as God is sort of this big, I'm sorry to sort of descend into silliness here, but it's sort of like a great big fairy godmother trying to look after us as we get around in our lives. And so we can actually see that to the question of what is God doing in the world, there's a number of answers, many possible answers. But where does God put his emphasis? What does God say he's on about in the world? What is the aspects of God's plans that as a guide and inform him and everything else? So what is God doing in the world? Well, first and foremost, God's plan is to glorify the, his name through his son. Now, a few weeks ago, we were going through 1 Corinthians 15. Feels a little while ago now, doesn't it? But when we got to 1 Corinthians 15, we see what happens at the end of everything. And up on the screen, 1 Corinthians 15, 28. When he has done this, when everything has come together, then the Son himself, Jesus himself, will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Everything is being done for the praise of God. That is the purpose of everything is the glory and praise of God. And how he does that is through the spreading of the message about Jesus and his death and his resurrection. So John chapter 12, Jesus is, is coming to the last week of his life and we'll see this towards the end of the year and he says, now my soul is troubled And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, do you hear what he says there? This is the purpose. I have come to my death so that your name would be glorified the Father's name would be glorified. Now, that's a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? That the death of Jesus, the death, in a sense, of God, should be the glorification of God. We think of death as the ultimate defeat, but here Jesus talks about it as the way of glorifying God. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. This is the moment. This is the time. In all the amazing things Jesus did in his life, We think of all the wonders and the signs and the miracles and the all of those things, all of that marvellous teaching, everything, the central part is his death on the cross for the sins of the world and through this to bring glory to God. See, God's plan is not primarily about health, wealth, not even primarily about doing good stuff. It's about calling people into a relationship with Himself by the forgiveness of sins through the death and resurrection of Christ. And yes, that has implications for behaviour. Good works should flow out of that gospel understanding, that gospel message, that gospel transformation. But at the heart of God's work in this world is His message to the glory of God the Father. So, point two on your outline, how? How does he do this work? How does it get done? How does God bring it about? And what is our role in it all? At this point, it would be good for you to have 1 Peter 2 open because we're going to look at that now. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Talking to Christians. You, but you, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Now, did you hear the purpose statement in there in verse 9? Verse 9, that you may declare the praises. You see, the purpose of God's people is actually to declare, to proclaim, to shout out the wonders of God to the world we do that every Sunday, we sing as we just have, we sing in praise to God but it's not just about that, it's not just about singing and praise and worship whatever we might do on a Sunday together it's actually about a whole attitude and direction of life that is, it's not singing come risen, uh, come, people of the risen king on a Sunday and on a growth group on Monday or Tuesday or whatever and then sort of hide it all the rest of the week What it is, it's us declaring God's goodness to us. And it's not God's given me a wonderful house or he's made me healthy or God's given me enough money or wonderful children, though they are all good things and thankworthy in themselves, of course. But the praises of God that Peter tells us about are there in verse 9 and 10. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There are the things we're to call out in praise to God about. What God is calling us to do is to call on to proclaim his saving mercies, his salvation of us. Because that is God's great plan in the world that we saw earlier, right? Now, I don't know how you are going in sharing your faith with others. And at this point, most of us, I think, feel like rabbits in the headlight. All of a sudden we go... Mm-hmm. What? You're asking me... Oh, it's sort of like when you ask Christians about how is your prayer life going. Everyone goes... Mm-hmm. How are you going with sharing your faith? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well... Mm-hmm. Now, I know I'm not as good as I, as I should be at sharing my faith. But our purpose is clear. We are to, to, to declare God's praises as his people under Christ. And if you're not feeling confident, if you're feeling like you really are the rabbit in the headlights at this point, anytime anything Christian comes up at work or in in friendship groups or whatever, then perhaps one of the things you could think about doing is Steve's course on Gospel Nuggets in a few weeks' time. What a great thing to do, just to learn something, how, how some way, just to bring in a little moment of Gospel truth into conversation or into relationships or into whatever it might be at work. You see, we are to glorify God in the declaration of his great mercies to us in Christ, his salvation of us through Christ's death and resurrection. Not that we're all to suddenly become Billy Grahams or anything like that. That's not what it's talking about. It's just letting God's goodness well up and overflow out of us so that people can see it. Now there are implications or outworkings of this that Peter shows us and if you look at verse 11 in your Bible it says this, dear friends I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now there is so much to learn there, we could spend a whole sermon series on it but just a couple of things. First of all, we are foreigners and exiles. That is, we don't belong here. Don't get comfortable in this world. Don't get too satisfied with life. Thank God for what we have, whatever we have, but remember that this world is not your home. I remember a teenager, we used to sing this song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My home is there, way up in the blue. While everything God has made for good, everything here is also deeply marred by sin and straining forward to the day when it will be redeemed and remade and recreated into a new heavens and a new earth. And that's what we are to long for. That's what we are to look forward to. That is our true home. Secondly, A mode of life flows out from it to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. That is, live a holy life. Flee from sin. Live for God because we are one of God's people, because we understand this salvation that he's won for us. But then the important thing to see here is number three, that if we do live honest, open and holy lives, then two things will happen. First of all, people will see our good deeds well people will see that change in us and accuse us of doing wrong that's awful isn't it but we've all felt it we've all seen it we've all heard it we will be accused of things we haven't done we will be accused of having wrong motives And we will be accused of being evil at times because we live in a world that has a different view, a different background, a different basis to the world and base that we have as Christian people. That is what Peter says we should expect. Expect opposition, expect misunderstanding, expect accusation. But it has an even greater outcome that people will glorify God on the day He visits us. Now, it doesn't say necessarily that all these people who see these things will come to faith, will become believers, will become Christian. But that our faithfulness to God, our good works, will resound to God's glory. It will all be seen. Our faithfulness in small things, in big things, in will come to light and will be to the glory of God. Now, isn't that an amazing thing? That is God's great plan in the world and our part to plan it. He's glorifying his name in the proclamation of the gospel in Christ's death and resurrection. And as we praise him for that, as we speak out his great deeds, as we share our salvation with others, for his glory and live out our lives in fleeing from sin and living for him, that is our part to play. So, there are three implications of this I want to explore. The first one is, change your ambitions. First of all, if God is all about his glory through Christ's death and, as we saw in 1 Peter, the priesthood of his people in this way, then perhaps we should think about the way we shape our life. And perhaps reshaping our life, changing what our ambitions are, what's important to us, where our priorities lie. If we really are God's people, then guess what? We actually don't belong to ourselves. We can't just be centred on ourselves or desiring to serve ourselves, but centred, actually, on the service of Christ and the praising of His name in the world. Our ambitions and our futures also have to be put under that microscope, not just how do we think we are bringing honour to God, to Christ, because that's important, central, but also what do other people see? Do they see those praises welling out of us? Do they see those, those... wonderful moments? Do they see our excitement about being a Christian? Are we excited about being a Christian? Are they seeing in us different priorities, different purposes, different drivers in life and in love and in work that is particularly Christian? Now that is a challenge that faces every one of us every day. The second implication is that God is looking for growth in people. He's working throughout the world to glorify His name through people. Now, we think about churches, we think about, you know, organisations. No, no, no. They're important, they're helpful sometimes, but I want to say God's more interested in people, to see people reborn into a relationship with Him, to draw them into His kingdom. And so whatever other signs of growth we see around us at church, you know, fixing the building or finances going up or extra staff coming on board or programs going so well, which they do next door. Um, I mean, all of those things, the one that has real significance in God's eyes is seeing people grow. Is seeing you grow in your understanding and knowledge and love of Christ. In seeing people join us to be part, to come to a come to faith amongst us. People growing in their commitment to him. But the third implication is a really important one. People's growth happens through the spirit by the proclamation of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 3 So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. We can't do it. We can't make things grow. Have you ever watered your garden and waited, hoped, and then nothing happened? I think everyone's had that. It's God who brings growth. This is God's great task in the world, to forgive people, to save people to his glory. Then it is him who is primarily at work. But then in 1 Corinthians 3, he goes on to say something quite extraordinary. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are co workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Now that is an amazing statement. Just let it sink in for a moment, that one about being co workers. We are fellow working. We are working alongside God when we do these things. When we're part of this big program, God is our senior partner if you want. Whenever the gospel is proclaimed in whatever way that happens, we are co-working with God. Whenever you have a word with Christ about a word about Christ with a colleague at work, or you say I'm leaving work on time tonight because I've got growth group on or whatever it might be however it is that you can show the priority of Christ in your life then you are co-working with Christ as you give the give to the work of the gospel here in Sydney to missionaries overseas who aim to teach the word so that people might grow and be saved you are co-working with God. And of course, as you read the Bible with someone, it's not just you doing it, it's God's doing it with you. As you attend growth group and as you wrestle with the word and and apply it into your life and and hear God's challenge to change, you are co-working with God in your life and in the lives of the other people in the group with you. Never underestimate your effect on the lives of other people. In church or in group. Or as you pray, uh, you're co working with God. We're able to pray for anything, but to pray for His plans and His purposes in the world, for your friends that they too might come to know Christ, to a saving knowledge of Christ, or to grow in their knowledge of Christ and bring glory to God's name. What a privilege that is. What a wonder. What a responsibility. And what a freedom because now you know it doesn't depend on you. Because God is at work, you see. When you do any of these things, no matter how good you are at them or how faulty you are at them, you are working with God, and it's all about God's work. Not all our day-to-day work is co-work with God. But in nearly all work, there are opportunities to co-work with God. But be prepared, because remember what Peter said? You will be accused of doing wrong when you, do, when you do these things in your workplaces. So I encourage you to think about in your life where you are co-working with God and pray for God to open more opportunities for you. There's almost a limitless number of contexts where we can co-work with God. But what happens is the same. Somehow, a Christian brings a truth from God's word to someone else, praying that God would bear fruit in that person through the working of his spirit. Now, that all sounds a bit radical, doesn't it? But the call to being Christ's disciple is clear and radical and shocking. Mark chapter eight. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You see, the cross is not just a little burden. Oh, it's my cross to bear. To have you know, uh, to have a little bit um, that I'm thinning on top, right? That's my cross to bear. No, 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 it's not that sort of thing. Cross is about dying to what matters to you. Dying to your own ambitions or perhaps your parents' expectations or perhaps your boss's demands. Dying to self and living for Christ. See, there's no half-heartedness in the Gospel. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot have a rival God in your life. So look hard. We need to look hard at ourselves and ask, who am I really living for? Have I denied myself? Have I died to self? Is it me and my desires and my priorities or am I living for Christ and what his concern and mission in the world is? And we all have a part to play, as I've said. We are all priests. That's what 1 Peter said, but I'll show you again from Revelation. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest's to serve God and Father. We all have a part to play in God's big plan of bringing glory through the gospel. We can all share our faith, we can all act in love, we can all read the Bible with someone because in the end the Bible does the work, not us. We don't have to have the answers. The Bible is the answer. We can all pray for one another and for our friends and family and colleagues and acquaintances and shopkeepers and even politicians and community leaders which we do regularly and it's great Steve and Lauren are not our priests. They do not do all the religious stuff around the place and we pay for them to do it we don't actually in a sense, and I'm, Steve's not here to defend himself, but we don't actually need them can you cut that off the, cut that off the recording somehow, um, we don't actually need them because we have one another. We are all priests together. But we have set Stephen, Lauren and others aside to work hard at preaching and teaching and leading and encouraging us, and what an encouragement they are to us. But we all have a part to play. And you can see it in action in Ephesians chapter 5. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the spirit sing and make music from your heart to the lord be filled with the spirit now the question is how do you do that you speak to one another in psalms hymns spiritual songs that's being filled with the spirit all of us singing and making melody in our heart for one another See, it's not just the pastor's job to encourage and pray and build up, it's everyone's job. It's everyone's privilege. Now, many of us know this and do this and and, and I want to say, great, keep it up, keep working at it, keep looking for ways to serve one another, love one another, speak the gospel to one another because that is a great encouragement to everyone. When people look to help each other, when they see not just the physical needs and help, as important as that may be, but the spiritual needs that we all have. Now, I'm almost tempted to ask people to put up their hands and say, who doesn't have a spiritual need here? But I'm not going to do that because I know the answer to that. We all know the answer to that. Everyone has a spiritual need, yeah? If you don't, you're not being humble enough. You need to look at yourself. We all have spiritual needs. But I also imagine that in your heart right now, you feel inadequate or unprepared for helping people with their spiritual needs. What can I offer? What can I do? I don't know. Well, I want to share something with you here. Welcome to my club. But you know what? I know that I don't need to feel adequate because I have three things that trump any of my inadequacies at looking after people in their spiritual needs. I have the Word of God. I have the Word of God, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I have access to God through prayer. I can bring all my prayers and petitions to God and even better than that, He promises to hear them. And thirdly, I have the Spirit of God working through the Word and prayers for His purposes in the person that I'm looking to help and, may I say, for the people that are trying to reach me, to help me. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Remember, we can all teach one another. Paul in Colossians 3 says... Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Do you hear what he says? The message of Christ to dwell amongst us richly, teaching, admonishing one another. There it is again, that one another, in all wisdom. Not that we are all teachers, we're not all gifted teachers, but that's irrelevant. We can do this for each other. But if we share the word, if we speak encouragements, if we sing out with joy and thanksgiving, uh, John Wesley had this wonderful phrase. He said, "Sing lustily and with good courage." Right. Then the next thing he said was, "Sing in tune." Now that helps, doesn't it? Not all of us are quite so good at that one. But sing lustily with good, because it encourages those those around us be willing to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters to consider their needs as more important than our own, then we are all being priests. We are all being God's co-workers. We are all God's peculiar people. And all this can happen anywhere. Doesn't have to happen here on a Sunday, though it's great for it to happen here. Doesn't have to just happen on Growth Group on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever night. You can do this anywhere at any time. As one of you reads the Bible with a friend at work or meets up for a, a lunchtime coffee and, and shares something about your Christian walk, or, or as others sit and pray together before church starts being ready to welcome people as they arrive, as we offer to teach little kids or lead a growth group, even when we don't fill up to the task, or whatever it might be for you. Because in God's plan, in God's people, that will grow his people and glorify him. Pray, pray for Steve and Lauren as they teach and prophesy, but also for your growth group leaders for Fee and, and the others who lead our kids, for the Muses as they lead us in, in praises week by week by week, for those who lead in prayer, who read the Bible, who, who sit with others, who, who welcome, who, who provide morning... There is so much as we encourage each other with the Word. Now, here's, here's a controversial one. Turn up to church regularly and early... It's a hard one, isn't it? Because that is a huge encouragement, huge encouragement, week by week by week. Now, it's not always possible. If you've got little kids, I think it is impossible, at times at least. That's okay. You can only do what you can do. But many of us can come a little bit early and many of us can come and look out for the newcomer and many of us can come and and sit and pray and and think about what the day is going to be and, and help if there's things to do. But when you do that, what it does is it shows what's important to you, doesn't it? It shows what matters. I want to encourage and challenge you that every one of us can be involved in God's big picture, his big plans of bringing glory to his son through the gospel of Christ. Because we can all pray, we can all share scripture and we can all watch out for each other. We might be able to find someone, believer or unbeliever, who'll will be willing to read some scripture with you. Be it a growth group, what a wonderful way of doing that. And when we're doing those things, then it is not ju- then God is not just in us; He's working through us. He works with us. His work is our work, and He will work through His Spirit in His Word to accomplish His purposes. So what does that mean? Last moments of bringing it to application. First one about one another. My phrase is get out there and minister. That is, care for one another, love one another, speak the gospel to one another, share the Bible with one another, praise God for one another. There's no such thing as a spectator in the great game of Christianity. We are all players. Or at least we should be. We all have our part to play and our bits we can do and sometimes we need to be reminded that there is more or that there we need a refocus or a recapturing of a vision. I'm going to speak to a very select audience here, those of you that have ever watched any American football. If you have ever seen any American football, what American football is all about is one person, the quarterback, gets the ball throws it to one other person who then runs now all the other team does lots of us but it's basically the ball goes between two people that's the whole game being christian isn't like that being christian is much more like playing soccer or rugby or something like that where any position can be played by just about anybody Anybody can take a pass. Anybody can score a goal, even though there are positions and strengths and weaknesses. As I challenged you earlier, think and pray about how you are involved in God's great plan in the world. Secondly, mutual encouragement. How are you doing Colossians 3? Let me read it to you again. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs in the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Think about it. Pray about it talk to people at church and decide about how you're going to change your life so that your values actually start to line up little by little more like God's values do? What are the things that you can bring into your everyday life that will transform those moments? Because when you do that, you become God's fellow worker. And there is no better, greater or more important work in all this world to be a part of than to work along with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your Son into our world to die for us, to bring forgiveness, to bring us into a new life for you, Father, open our eyes and move our hearts to live for you day by day, moment by moment, thought by thought. As we are about to sing, take our life and let it be consecrated unto thee. Father, take us and use us to your glory In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.